Great. Well, I don't know about you, but you kind of feel a bit wrecked after hearing that, don't you? And, and Steve's already reminded us of the privilege that we are called up. We're part of what God's doing there. And uh, some of us will never go to that nation, but you feel heart connection, don't you, with what God's doing. So that's sure we keep praying. And I guess for some of us as well, as you hear those stories, you just think, I could never do that. I could never do what Donna does. And do you know God gives us grace as well for different things? And some of us just don't have the grace to do what Donna does. But God has given us grace in our context, in our communities. And one of the things that Simon and I are going to be sharing about is how do we therefore connect into our communities? And for some of us, we need more grace to connect into our communities. Some of us, again, need to step up. If we hear what God's doing in the impact that God is doing across the world, we realise for the UK, we are still in very much desperate times, aren't we? When you consider where we're at at times and to see the news and to see, you know, in, in the holiday times, for example, where children on free school meals find it really hard, the families, to feed their families, that one in four parents goes, skips a meal because they want to be able to feed their children. When we see the rise of uh, food poverty in our nation, when we see the effects still of uh, universal credit and people, the increase in homelessness on our streets and it's in our communities. And I often, people often ask me, well, it's, it's probably more obvious than where I come from. So I'm from Hull, a city uh, in the north of the UK. It's probably more obvious in your city, but I can tell you, I can visit every town, village in this nation and just give me an hour or two to ask a few questions and you will find there are very marginalised people in your city, town, village that God is calling us to reach. God is calling us to rise up as the church to serve our communities and to make impact. And uh, I know when... Uh, we were involved, as we were New Frontiers before Regions Beyond, we were sent a couple to plant in Harrogate. Who's been to Harrogate? It's very posh, isn't it? Very nice. It's a beautiful place. It's full of some beautiful uh, historical places to visit. Uh, the baths, you can bathe there. I haven't done that yet. Um, but it's very nice. Lots of gated communities. But do you know it has the highest rate of alcoholism in the United Kingdom? And that's among the middle classes. Again, people who are very secretive about the addiction that they face, but in great need of the church community to affect them. And so I just want to stir us again to consider what is it that God's calling us to do. When Joe and I, my wife, we moved to Hull 14 years ago, and we did move there with the intention of planting a church that really had a heart and a passion to reach the poorest and most marginalised in our community and 14 years later we've seen some incredible breakthroughs of what God has done and we're still learning and as you hear Donna you think I haven't learned anything yet <laughs> I'm still on this journey of discovering one of the the joys when why we partnered with Regions Beyond when we were making the decisions who should we connect with it was the heart and mission for the poor and the marginalized and uh it's a journey that we're still on. So we have a city centre building. Some of you came to the whole hub. It was great to welcome you. And uh, as part of our church community, we've really felt called as God stirred us to keep 
pushing into, really serving and loving people, loving friends among us. And so we run different uh, things that really help to walk people through the journey that they're on. So we run a life college uh, this term, I don't know how many we've got, I think last term we had about 80 students on our, in our college. We ran daytime courses just to help equip people, to give a place for coming together. Isolation is incredible uh, in our, our villages and our towns and our cities. People need community. Community is broken down in such an extent. We see the rise of mental health issues, people who are older, people with learning difficulties people who maybe aren't working at the moment, to give them something during the day where they can connect, make friends, and learn a skill. Because that's one of the things, as we listen to our community, I remember we started it with the ho our homeless community, our friends in the city, and we put up, we said, what was it you'd like to know? What would you like to do? What didn't you like about school? What would you like to learn about? And we had post-it notes, and some of them can't read or write, so we sat with them. And we just wrote down things they, they'd like to learn and do. Because during the day, if you're homeless or living in a hostel, you're thrown out first thing in the morning even from the hostel and you can't return to the evening. So you have a whole sort of 14 hours sometimes of what do you do all day. You can only go to the library so many times in shelter. Uh, you're often not allowed in McDonald's more than the extent of when you had your meals. They get to know you. And so we asked them. And they said, well, I'd really, I'd really like to learn how to cook. Well, these guys were homeless, but they, they had the vision of one day I'm in the house, how do I cook for myself? So we started cooking, and then we started doing a needle craft group, and then we started, we want to do some singing together. So we started a singing group, and we've gradually built up courses to help people during the day to engage and to get people. What we discovered as we worked with the homeless in our city, what are the main issues that they're facing? One of the major ones is addiction. So how do we help people come out of addiction and so we run a 12-step uh, Christian recovery program out of that we've developed with another partner a Christian organization our rehab we have a rehab in our in our flat and we also have another rehab house in another part of the city and now some move on accommodation because we want to get people he lifts the needy from the ashes and seats them with the princes and most Christian work in this nation is still we're just feeding people all the time we're just feeding, feeding, and we need to feed people because people are hungry. And I love what Donna says, you know, sometimes the dependency thing is a question we get asked, and we don't want to make people dependent, but actually we want to feed them <laughs> at the same time. But if we're, not going to, if we're just going to feed people and we're not going to walk with them and help them and come alongside them, then we're going to be feeding the same people in a year's time, in two years' time, in five years' time. And so what we discovered is how can we support people? So we want to get people into work and employment. So we set up a catering company because people enjoy cooking. And uh, how can we get them into the hospitality industry? And so we set up a charity, getting people into work and employment, about empowering people. And the biggest joy for me is when we have our graduation, uh, we have a graduation at the end of each term and one each year, is that when people come forward and we give certificates if they've attended 60% of the course. So that's 60% is a major, major achievement. To, to turn up every week, we're running from 10 weeks to get their certificate. And those are the ones where if I go, I cry out. <laughs> because people are holding these certificates with dear life. I've never had a certificate at school. Nobody's ever given me a certificate. 
you know, and, and they said, you know, and they, they, they take a photograph of it. If they can go on Facebook, they put it on Facebook. You know, I've attended, I've attended 60% of a course. And then as we discover helping people and getting people into work and employment with our homeless people, we thought it's a big step for some of them to go into the hospitality. We need a middle step. So we also run the Big Issue magazine for the north and part of our region. So again, helping people to, rather than choose to beg on the streets, it's very difficult in the UK with our system, what you, can you do for a job? The Big Issue magazine, it's about them buying a magazine from us, selling it at twice the price. But to get customers, what do you need to do? You need to be friendly. You need to save your money to buy the next set of magazines. And then you need to continue build business because if you're in the same place all the time and you smile at people and you're not rude back, you don't shout back when they spit at you or look at you, you encourage them, you're friendly, you're warm, what happens is they come back again and they buy from you. And so Sean, who's one of our vendors, you know, that's his full-time job now. When he first came to us, he was in addiction, very little self-worth, and now he's so proud because he can stand on the street corner. Everybody knows him in Hull. He's the guy, stand by Princess Key, used to have a dog, he's had issues with the dog, so he doesn't take the dog with him anymore. But he doesn't, doesn't have, not on benefit at all now. It's a full-time job. Why? Because he's engaged. It's given dignity and self-worth. He hasn't yet become a Christian, but we've got many stories of people have. And I think all we've done is heard and listened to people and say, what is it that people need in our community? And I think... As churches, again, God wants to stir us, and Donna said it, it's about the sitting down with people, isn't it? And listening and hearing, what is it that God wants to do with our community in the place that God's called us to? People often ask me, you know, you do a lot of the church, it sounds like you do a load of projects. What was Donna's mantra? People, not projects. I hate it when they call it, or you do some great social action. Well, we do, but it's about the people. It's the people that we love and the people that we walk alongside, you know. And you're, one of our friends died about 18 months ago, Alex. And, uh, you know, as always with somebody who's been on the streets for many years, there's sort of lots of dysfunctional relationships and family sort of cut off and estranged. And uh, so this funeral ended up being organised by his dad, who hadn't seen him for years, and went into the crematorium with, our, with everybody. And it was a humanist one, so they didn't like that because they knew that Alex came to our church, uh, although, again, hadn't yet become a Christian as far as we know. And the whole service went on, and right at the end, this humanist guy, you know, they always have an offering at the end, don't they? You, know, you can put money in the box... He says, oh, there's a box at the back, money to put in for this homeless work, whatever. He says, but just watch it. I'm watching you. Because all the homeless guys were there. And our hearts sank. And Dan got more angry than I did, who I work with, because it was like... And we came out of there thinking, my goodness. And all these people then came up to me and said, please, can we do the service again? So the next week... We had a service in our church. We did a proper service that gave dignity to this guy that celebrated, because the dad didn't know anything about him, that celebrated his life. And Lenny, who's up here, you know, he came to me and we just gave us a big hug and said, thank you that you love us. And I think, wow. And that's just our community loving people. 
Um, and God wants us to do that, you know, that, that whole thing about hugging and loving and coming alongside people. God wants to challenge us in our communities. It was so great to be on the Isle of Wight last year with Apex Church. And uh, they don't do a lot of projects either, you know. But what they have got is some incredible people in their community who are really serving people, aren't they? GPs and people in family work. And you suddenly think they're making real impact on the island, not because the church is organising a lot of programmes, but people are motivated. And all we do is how can we connect the dots in our community with the people that are serving? How can we serve them better, pray for them, but also how can we engage the partnership? And I know it's one of the things Simon wants to share about us. How do we partner with our community as well? Because we're all called to bring greater impact, I think, and corporately. And of course, as we've been reminded, our values as regions beyond is embracing the poor, taking them with us on the mission that God's called us to, to lift them up to their co-equals with us in our world mission. So I want us to provoke us again, and we've already been provoked, is how do we do that? How are we embracing? How are we working out that value in our own church community? You know, when we started our church, I know some of you have heard this story, we started on a, on a housing state deliberately, um, just outside of the city centre. And we didn't advertise the church plant, because I didn't want Christians coming, because church planting is reaching the lost, yeah? Remember that. Um, not favouritism because we're here to reach the lost, okay? Not the white, middle-class Christians, yeah? Church planting's not about that, because that's favoritism, is it not? Well, some of you, I know. <laughs> I'd just like to provoke, stab a stick, um, because that, that's what we're doing in our nation. We are church planting. We, now, there's nothing wrong with planting city centre churches with big budgets. That's how we planted Hull. But, and to be a resource church. But if we're really going to reach our communities and our villages and towns and the people and the diverse community that God's called us to, we've got to do things differently. And for us, primarily, it was reaching the poorest. Anyway, we meet on this estate. A couple of weeks in, two Nigerian women come in to the church. And I'm like, praise God, more diversity. At the beginning of my church, that's what I want. Beautifully dressed. And I love Nigerians, particularly the jollof rice. Um, but then if Ghanaians come into the church, if Ghanaians come into the church, I always tell them they have the best jollof rice, yeah? That's how they play one off against the other. Just talk about jollof rice with Nigerians and Ghanaians. They always cook the best. And it's always done differently, isn't it? Yeah? So they came in. And she was enthusiastic in the worship. And I was like, praise God. And I could see her nodding as I was preaching. But then right at the end, this lovely Nigerian woman comes up to me. She goes, Pastor! There are two And I was like, there are not enough people smoking outside the front of my church. As I spat on her. I didn't do it in Nigerian accent. I did it in my Brighton accent. Because what was that woman saying? You see, we were already beginning to reach the community. And here was this lovely religious Christian woman who she saw there was, as she swam through the fog of the smoke <laughs> outside the front of our church. Little did I tell her the week before we'd met and kids were throwing stones at the windows, you know. 
And normally what they, we went in the church building, normally the vicar would have gone out and shouted at these kids. So I thought, what do I do? So I just went over. I said, oi, come here. I want to talk to you. And this kid's going. I said, can I just have a bit, can I just have one of your fags? So I took the fags. Thanks very much. Can you not stay snows at my windows? <coughs> Walked away, it was fine. They didn't throw stones after that. And I'm, I've developed an addiction to smoking. But, um, but what was that woman saying? What that woman was saying was, that's what church should be like. It should be clean, it should be tidy. You have to be dressed in a certain way, face favoritism. You have to have the gold ring and the robe come and sit at the front. It was seen in that religious spirit of the woman, but I think we still have those religious spirits in our churches today, do we not, at times? People not like us. They're not like us, those people. Or maybe you are beginning to engage, maybe with the homeless or particular group in your community. Maybe they might turn up at church on Sunday and you see them go, great, uh, who does the project? There's one of your people here. Can you come and talk to them? They've, they've come in. I'm really pleased that one of your people's here. I'm sure it doesn't happen in your church. It certainly doesn't happen in mine ever anymore, no. But there's something about that God wants to challenge us in terms of how are we going to engage in our communities? How are we going to reach those in the most need? And there is a challenge, more and more. One of the, my favorite verses in the Bible is, uh, is a parable that Jesus told. It's called the parable of um, the mustard seed. And in it, it says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which God plants in a garden, and it grows into the largest of trees, that the, the birds of the air may come and perch in its branches. And uh, where it's talking about the, the kingdom of God is like the seed, it's a crazy thing that Jesus said, again, offending the religious mindset, because Jewish law forbade the seed being planted in a Jewish garden. It was against the regulations and the rules. And of course, he's talking to an agricultural community. Now, what you don't want is birds coming into your garden, because what do birds do with the seed? They eat it. But Jesus is saying this seed of the kingdom is planted in the garden, and it will grow into this tree that the birds of the air may perch. When it talks about the birds of the air, the Greek word is the word fowls, which means the detestable birds, the, the dirty birds, the vultures that kind of prey on the flesh, the ones that people don't like. But Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, his people, the church, is for the poor, the broken, the marginalised, the ones who are cut off, the ones who despise, the ones who are downtrodden. And that's kingdom of God. That's what the church is that we should be building. Is that we build a church that's like a tree that grows, that the birds there come and perch, they come and rest in our trees, they come under the shelter. They become part of our community and that only happens as we recognise we are also poor. <laughs> We're also in need. And we need the birds to come. And in our communities, there's still flocks of birds. So what we do in the UK, I was in a church um, in Northumberland. What an amazing church that is. Gateway Church in Northumberland. They couldn't be with us here. It's one of our most northern churches, although we've got Edinburgh now, haven't we? Uh, but Northumberland. And uh, I said, so anybody got farming? background. I say, what do you do if the birds, if, from a farming background, because we're in an agricultural setting, what do you do if the birds come into, onto your field? And he said, we shoot them. 
I was like, that wasn't the answer I was looking for. <laughs> so do you have a license for your gun? What we do is this, you see. Put your arms out like this. Put your scary face on. <laughs> what we do in the UK is we put up scarecrows that frighten the birds away. I think, you're still putting your scary face on, aren't you? Oh, no, that's normal. That's what we do. Thank you, Mark. We put up scarecrows. What do scarecrows do? They're meant to scare the birds away. I want us to think, and we're going to have a discussion later, what are some of the scarecrows that we have in our own attitudes, in our own lives, and in our churches? So there's times when we're, maybe some of us who are preachers, we preach sermons that are very eloquent, very nice. But if you're uneducated, you can't understand half of what you're saying. And it's a scarecrow. Some of our hospitality team are like scarecrows. <laughs> They're at the door. Oh, wonderful. Nice white middle-class man. Thank you so much for coming in. Oh. Keep an eye on that one. They've just come in. They don't... You know, I'm not sure about them. Keep an eye on them, team. It can be a scarecrow. Immediately you can feel there's a scarecrow at the door as people come in, as people respond. And those scarecrows can be different cultures at times. It's not just a... We often feel marginalised in our society, maybe the way they worship, their style. One of the scarecrows might be... I was talking to Fussy. Um, sorry, I really interrogated him. He came to my house for a rest. And I sat near and Joseph, why are you sitting so near to him? I said, I want to get every ounce of him. Uh, find out. One of it might be how we plant our churches even. Who do we plant with? You know, we, there's an expectation. You know, we know best. We need the nations of the world to come plant with us. As Fusi reminded me, the, the, South Korea is sending out the most missionaries around the world. What happens if they turn up in our city? Oh, there's not many Koreans here for you to... That's your church. I don't think it's going to work for you. But yet we're very welcome to go <laughs> to other places and send out our people. Scarecrows that stop what God wants to do. So I want to challenge us and, and to think about what are the, some of those scarecrows. Ruth, would you like to come up with Gareth just for a moment? Thank you. You know, Jesus said, Mark... 2.17, on hearing this, Jesus says, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the, thick, the sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. In our daily lives, and as a church, we need to welcome the fowls, the birds. There's nothing more sickening than when we have attitudes. And God began to challenge those, didn't he, in that last session with Donna. Why don't we just stand together, just for a moment. You know, I felt God was working in my heart some of the things that Donna said about heart surgery. And last night when Ali was, uh, or yesterday afternoon when Ali was speaking, he was really talking about our love for Jesus and but also understand we're loved by him. And again, it came in this morning, didn't it? That we need to see the reflection of who Jesus is. And as we see that reflection, it causes us to change. And I just feel before Simon comes, just for a few moments, that God wants to continue that heart surgery on us, to touch us. And it comes as we receive God's love and understand God's love from us. So as Ruth ministers to us, I just, let's just reach out our hands to him and say, God.
Come to me, Lord. Help me not to be a scarecrow. Jesus help me to be a tree. Loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. our hands on our heart say God keep working in me Lord that I'd know your love and that love would then be poured out for others because it's falling in love with Jesus that reflects him as Megan reminded us this morning pray for yourself God give me your heart give me your passion forgive me of my attitudes whatever is going on in your heart let's just come before him come Lord Jesus loves me he who died heaven's gate to open wide he will wash away my sin let his little child come in yes Jesus loves me
we're called to be a church and a people for the broken, a place of protection and shade. The church where those broken pieces come together and make an incredible colour diverse picture. We're incomplete without the poor. We're incomplete without our friends, as Donna says. We're just part of the picture. But together we can be a beautiful picture. That's let's challenge ourselves. Let's challenge our leadership. That's if you're a youth worker, whatever area you're working in, what is it that God's calling us to do to to really raise people up and see them seated with princes. Just take your seat for a moment. You know, when I was in Gateway Church in Northumberland, I wasn't looking forward to going, you know. Do you ever sometimes not quite sure what you're going into and you visit somewhere else? And I walked in there and there's a, they have a Sunday dinner every week. They've got about 30 people in this rural community and I walked in and I saw this guy I thought, he's working through his heroin addiction. <laughs> the next person I talked to, she's, she's a recovering alcoholic. Next person I spoke to talked about their depression. There were two women who just become Christians sitting on the sofa with physical issues and difficulties. And I thought, oh, I've come home. <laughs> I have come home. What a beautiful, multicolored picture of God's church in that community. And I pray that we'd walk into our churches more and more over these coming months and years and say, wow, what's God doing? Who is God adding to us? Who's God taking them and who are we sending to the ends of the earth? Amen. 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 Simon's going to come and help us now and uh, give us another example of how we can impact our communities. Let's give a round of applause to Simon. Hmm. I feel like I want to start... Hi, everyone. I feel like I want to start with kind of just almost repenting because... We hear stories like this morning, and for many of us, I think if we're honest, we recognize Burundi, you know, we hear it, and it stirs something in our hearts, and we go, God, that's incredible, and then we realize tomorrow, we're going to go back to our own little town and community, and actually, those, the stories, we've got such a responsibility, haven't we? Everybody that's here, whether you're a church leader or not, you've got a responsibility to carry our friends in our hearts, um, but many of us will never go there. Many of us, we won't meet these friends until glory, and then we'll get to spend eternity reminiscing and enjoying God together. But, um, and then I hear stories of Steve and what he's doing in Hull and what Dan and the church there are doing in Hull, and you kind of go, wow, these are incredible expressions of church that are just impacting their communities. And then I, this is my confession, and I go, and I am from white, middle-class England. I am. I'm from a small town, village. Depends who you talk to about it. I'm like, who am I? And then we go to our new website. If you haven't been onto the Regions Beyond website, go onto the Regions Beyond website and we read this. As a family of churches, we believe in the centrality of the church in God's eternal purpose. We believe that God's great plan has always been that through local communities of disciples, through our love for one another, our commitment to one another, our service together, our mission together, our lifestyle together, 
our attitudes, our actions, and our unity together as bodies of believers, that through the church, God's wisdom, his mercy, his grace, his authority, his patience, his care should be known. Ephesians 3 verse 10. In fact, we believe the one great purpose of God in history in this age and in the ages to come is the gathering of the church. Sometimes we can be tempted to think of our own local church or even the universal church across the world as something small and irrelevant compared to all the other things around us that affect our lives and demand our attention on a regular basis. In actual fact, according to the Bible, there is nothing more important in this world than the church. The church across the world and across history, that includes every local church too. There is nothing, hear this, there is nothing more important in your town than your church. There's nothing more important in your village than your church. There's nothing more important in your city than the church. There is nothing more important in your nation than the church. That has always been the case and it always will be. Everything else is finite. Only the church has an eternal future. So I want to confess for the times where I've thought of my small church as insignificant. When I see the works that we're involved in across the nations and I long for some kind of validation of who I am as a Christian or as a leader, that, that somehow that's going to validate me. But no, brothers and sisters, wherever you are, wherever your place, whatever your community may be, let's be faithful. So for those who don't know me, I'm literally going to take 15 minutes. So for those who don't know me, you'll believe me. Um, for those of you who don't, for those who don't know me, um, I live in Biggin Hill. I'm part of New Life Church. Hey, and there's a number of us here, so I run the risk of offending at least 15 people as I talk about our church. Now, um, Biggin Hill is a small town, or is it a village? I don't know. It depends who you ask. I've never really got to the bottom of it. In the last census, in 2011, the population was 9,951. And in truth, it probably hasn't actually changed massively in the last, uh, in the recent years. We are surrounded by fields. We're in the county of Kent, but we're part of the southern eastern London borough of Bromley. Think hot fuzz, okay, and you're not far off with Biggin Hill. We sit right on the border of Greater London, of Kent and Surrey, which is a place that is slightly confused about its very identity. The fact that I can't tell you whether it's a town or a village says that. We pay our council tax to London, but our postcode is Tunbridge. <laughs> My community often feels neglected. It often feels forgotten about by Bromley. And those of you that are from Bromley, this is not a dig at you personally. <laughs> we walk around, a lot of us in our community, with a bit of a chip on our shoulder that no one really cares about us. We're the forgotten bit of Bromley. You know, when the snow comes, the buses drop us off three miles outside. It's true! Because they can't get up the hill. But you know what? That mindset of the, the kind of the forgotten people, that is rampant in every small town and village across our nation. And across the nations. 
The forgotten places, not loved, bottom of the pile, the armpit of Bromley. That was my one, but I don't, I don't link it, but... Never enough policing, never a traffic warden when you want one, and always one when you don't. The government... Isn't that right, Mark? Um, the, the government... Sorry, Mark got a parking ticket yesterday. Having said that there are no parking attendants in the island. But you get the picture, okay? You, do you understand where I'm coming from, okay? And I think we can probably relate to this a little bit because most of us are from these kind of communities, okay? Um, Biggin Hill was made famous because it was one of the main bases for the RAF during the Battle of Britain. Because it's nearly 700 foot above sea level, they could fly downhill to France and they could see the enemy coming uphill to Biggin Hill. It's true. And you know, we're not a massively diverse community either. We're not. A, a very dear friend of mine who's in this room went into Tesco's recently. He's, he's from Worthing, but he's Iranian. Yeah, everyone knows who it is. Payman, give us a wave. He's 36 years old. He walked into Tesco to buy a bottle of wine and the guy ID'd him. Which I personally would be really flattered by, I've got to be honest. But when Payman said, really? The guy said, uh, in this country, we ID over 25. Or under 25. That's the attitude. Do you know, there's no homelessness in Biggin Hill. You don't walk down the street. There was a homeless guy once. He wasn't really homeless. He just was lost. But he, um, <laughs> by, within, within one night, he had a whole new wardrobe of clothing. I mean, it was because it's like, wow, there's somebody we can actually care for that's really poor. I mean, it's, it's incredible. But, we, but as Steve said, poverty is rampant in our community. We don't see it, but it exists completely. There's an entire generation of elderly people who are poor, who are forgotten about by families. How are we reaching the poor in our community? Every single church is a church for the poor, whether you're in middle class Britain in Kent or London, I was still confused, or whether you're in the centre of Hull or anywhere like that. Listen, I've been in Biggin Hill for four years. Um, I'm still seen as the new pastor. Okay, New Life Church has been in Biggin Hill for 40 years. Uh, planted by Ray and Sue Lowe, and it's a privilege to have them back in the fold as well. Um, Ray came out of the legal profession and led the church for 20 years, saw some incredible moves of God in Biggin Hill during that time. Saw people saved, saw people added, but also equipped and sent out from Biggin Hill. Many of you here today are part of churches that are led by people that were in Biggin Hill many years ago. Then Ray and Sue passed on to Gareth and Leslie, who continued to go on faithfully serving the community and the church, seeing the church grow and continuing to send people out locally, but also to think internationally. Gareth has built on some incredible foundations that Ray laid and has, under Gareth's leaders, we got caught up in this other small little town that some of you might have heard of, of Clarence, where we've sent people and finances for many years. And the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth because of it. We were right at the heart of a powerful move of God as a small community where people were being passed through the windows to get saved. In small, insignificant, big and hill. Now I've purposely taken some time to share that just the tip of the iceberg of something of our church history. Because in many ways, big and hill is a small, insignificant town. A fairly tight-knit community, predominantly made up of people that have lived there nearly all of their lives. But these small towns are as much on God's heart as the big cities are. Jesus himself wasn't born in a city. 
God chose to turn up in a small village of 500 people. And many of us represent similar places. And what I thought, what Ali shared yesterday was so helpful to remind us not to despise where God has placed us. And I, without his provocation, I can hand on heart say, I love New Life Church. And I love the quirky town of Biggin Hill. And just like Dave, I had people scoff at me when they heard we were moving to Biggin Hill. I actually had somebody say to me, nothing good has ever come out of Biggin Hill. I thought, well, they said that about somewhere else as well. <laughs> now, I am still really new at this church leading thing. Okay, so we have been in Biggin Hill for four years. I officially took over three years ago and I started leading this morning. But we're, um, we're, and many of you have led churches for a whole lot longer than that. And you have been doing incredible works into your community. And what I'm not wanting to try and do this morning is give you a massive list of all the things that we do because your list would look very similar. You know, we get involved, don't we? We love our communities. We do things to try and engage with our communities. Um, but what, if anyone that preaches, you know this, context is key, isn't it? And I think we apply that to the scriptures, but we don't necessarily always apply it to our local churches. Context is key. So what works in Littlehampton won't necessarily work in Shilbottom. Yeah? And so context is key. In the census back in 2011, there were 3,000, no, not 3,000, that's my dyslexic reading, 7,339 towns or cities in England... But only 411 of them had more than 25,000 people in them. That means that there are 6,928 small communities of under 25,000 people in our nation alone. Let's not despise the small communities, guys. In reality, many of us find ourselves building in this setting. And before I go any further, if you have not read this book, and I don't care whether you're planting in Dubai, in Sydney, in Edinburgh, in Burundi, or in Biggin Hill, if you've not got hold of this book, Small Town Jesus by Donnie Griggs, I would highly, highly recommend it. It will stimulate you, it will stir you, it will provoke you to think about the small towns of this nation, and actually even the multi-site churches in our midst. Each site, you will know, is a completely different context. It's not, we're not Costa Coffee, guys. All right? It's not just, well, slap the same color on the walls, put the same menu up, and we'll make money. It doesn't work like that. Context is key. So questions for you, church leaders and church members, of which there are many here as well. Do you know what makes your small town or community tick? What is it that everybody loves? What is it that people rally around? What is it that the community celebrates? What do they mourn? What fuels the economy? What do they do to come together? And some of you may know these answers to these questions, but if you don't, your homework is go and find out. Go and find out what it is that your community does. I want to tell you a couple of stories because, like I say, I don't want to list off all of the things. We have old people's work in the church. We allow community groups to use the church free of charge just to be a blessing. And sometimes we feel like we're being taken for granted, but, you know, we'll just get over that because we, we want to be hospitable, don't we? And there are, we, you know, every church can list stuff, all right? But I want to just highlight a few things that I've learned and I'm still growing in since being in Biggin Hill for these last few years. So one of the things, confession, another confession, it's becoming a theme, isn't it? Next person who's speaking, make sure you confess something. Um, we, I've never been into Remembrance Day. I'm not from a military family. 
My, I'm sure my grandparents were involved in the wars, but, and even in my evangelical church that I was brought up in, Remembrance Day wasn't even a thing, really. We didn't stop and observe a minute silence at 11 o'clock. That would mess up our worship. Yeah? And so, when I moved to Biggin Hill, it was one of those moments I thought, well, I probably should show my face, because they have a memorial, right? So I thought, well... And it turns out we put a reef on the memorial, and I just thought, I'm going to go along and just show my face. So I turned up in my jeans, not dissimilar to what I'm wearing today, I suppose. Um, and suddenly I'm like, there are hundreds of people here around our cenotaph. This is, this is strange. Um, I didn't expect it to be like this. And one, of the, one person from our community comes to me and said, um, are, you from Biggin- are you from New Life? I said, yeah. So are you a proper church then? I said, what do you mean are we a proper church? You know, we're New Life Church. It's in the name. I didn't say this. This is what's going on. We've got a cross on the top of the building because some in the community didn't think we were a proper church. So we stuck a cross on there to prove it. And yet, for some reason, what validates us as a church is whether we're gathering around something you value. It was so interesting. So... The next year, I thought, right, I'm going to wear a jacket. And, I, and, I, and, and interestingly, because we turned up that year, suddenly they're going, oh, would you like to do a reading? I'm thinking, I better wear a jacket. So I got to read out the list of everybody who passed away in one of the wars in front of my community. I'm thinking, the church should be here. We're still meeting down, at, you know, down on the main road in our own meeting. And I thought, no, the church should be here. So the following year, this was not last year, the year before last, I said, right, church, radical moment. We're gonna... I couldn't cancel worship, and we don't cancel church, do you? Um, so what we did, we, we met earlier. We met at half nine, and we, we had a time of worship, so we had our proper God bit. And then we, um, and then we went and met outside the, the, the Church of England and walked down with the Church of England and with the air, air cadets and the scouts and the guides and the brownies and all of those guys and girls who value this moment in our history. And we walked down with them. And I'll be honest with you, not everybody came. It's not everyone's cup of tea. You know, some of them are like, no, I don't want to. Why, why are we doing that? I don't understand. And that's one of the things I, God was doing over here was I'm like, God, I just want us to get it. I want us to get it. I want us to love our community in such an extravagant way that they may not believe the gospel, but they will see it through our actions. That's my heart. And so when I say, let's do a joint service, it's not because I want to do a joint service. It's because I want our community to see there's unity in the body of Christ that will bring about transformation of our community. And so I just... Very good. So anyway. So anyway. So, what we did, so we went and we walked down there and we swelled the numbers around that cenotaph. And what we had was suddenly there was salt, there was light, there was leaven within my community. Because as I looked across, the church has spread across this gathering of our community. The only point in the year where this number of people come together in our community, okay, from all different backgrounds. So this, this last year, we went whole hog. I'm like, right, we are cancelling our meeting, right? People left the church. No, they didn't. Um, but... <laughs> Some people stayed in bed, and that's fine, because I can't, you know, you can only do so much as a leader, and we all know this, you can only do so much, you can cast the best vision in your mind, but not everybody is going to grab hold of it. Sometimes, they, you know, you just got to lead into it and see what happens. And so we cancelled our service, and we went and joined with St. Mark's for their service, right? Which was awkward, um, because, but it was brilliantly awkward, because for new life, they didn't have a clue what they were meant to do. 
Did you? <laughs> they walk in. We're doing communion. How do they do communion? What we got to say? When have we got to speak? You know, no one had been to a like, Church of England service before. This is incredible. My daughter nudged me and said, Dad, I can't take communion in this church. Like she's, I've got her permission to say this, by the way. I said, what do you mean you can't take communion in this church? And I'm thinking, pastor, father, I'm like, what on earth has happened in my 16-year-old daughter's life that means she can no longer take communion? Dad, I'm wearing the wrong shoes. I'm like, Bob, what do you mean? Sorry, her name's Katie, but we call her Bob. I'm like, Bob, what do you mean you're wearing the wrong shoes? I'm wearing my Air Forces. If I kneel to take communion, they're going to crease, and I don't want to crease my Air Forces. I said, I said, Bob, get up there and thank Jesus for his sacrifice for you. Um, and do you know what I found out on Sunday? The Church of England's offering that Sunday was the highest they had all year. Yeah, that is a witness. And do you know how I found that out? Because Alison, the vicar at St. Mark's, I know a woman vicar, we still love her and we end and support her and celebrate what she's doing in our community. She was standing with the other um, councillors after our unity service on Sunday night going, why don't we do an offering? I said, well, didn't even cross my mind that we were doing an offering tonight. And Alison said, well, I would have done an offering because your lot are a generous lot. <laughs> and then and the councillors, the local councillors are going, what do you mean, Alison? Alison is able to testify to the generosity of God's people as they give their finances. It was amazing. Okay? So, anyway. Um, oh, ten minutes. I'm going to go for more ten minutes. Is that all right? <laughs> One o'clock. Well, no, because there's a couple of other things I want to just share about, if that's okay. Because I just, it may or may not help, but I, I, it's just stuff that I'm realizing. We've, sometimes our value system's completely messed up. We spend so long trying to get people into the church, we forget that actually it's the idea is to get the church out of the building into the people. And so it's just, these are simple little things that we can, we can do. I said about small towns, they often feel neglected. Right? They often feel unloved. Um, and they often feel less important. You know, they often, you know, the money sort of dries out before it gets to the hill coming up to Biggin Hill. And when a place doesn't feel loved, when a place doesn't feel provided for, do you know what blesses the socks off? You do stuff for free. Right? And so we, we do a number of things as a church that are free. And I don't just do it for free because, oh, it's an arrogant statement. Oh, yeah, we're not charging because we don't need your money. It's because actually a lot of people think churches are just after their money. And so actually by doing stuff for free, and this is stuff I've inherited. This is not me. I'm just celebrating what God's already been doing in our community since way before I got there. But, you know, we... The, the Santa's Grotto, I know it could be spelt Satan if you made it, but Santa's Grotto, we do that for free because it's expensive to take two or three kids to see Santa at a garden centre. It just is, but if you whack it on for free and you do some amazing face painting for free, what people go is, where's the donation pot? And at that moment, there's your in. Oh, there is no donation pot. What do you mean there's no donation pot? And it just opens up an opportunity for the gospel. We're here because God's told us we've got to love you. And that looks like extravagance and we want to bless you. The church, the community are covering this for you. It's beautiful. But that can go really wrong as well. So there's also moments in small communities where the community comes together. So uh, village fates are probably a dying thing. We have a festival now. It's just been rebranded as a carnival. Um, it's probably going to be no different to what it was when it was a festival. But it just sounds different um but we have this carnival and for years as a church we've gone along and we've been stall holders i guess at this carnival and our heart has been and new life church is one of the most generous people i know they are just outstanding you just keep calling it out of them they keep rising to the challenge and 
one of the things we want to show that generosity to our community. So I know what we'll do. We'll do free tea and coffee at this carnival or at this festival. And so for the last few years, we've done all sorts over the years, but the last few years we've been doing free tea and coffee for people, putting out chairs and tables so that encouraging the community to not just come and have a free tea and coffee, but to sit there to get evangelized and to get loved on and to be, yeah, and it was, it's been brilliant. It's been absolutely brilliant. Free face painting. The queue, I mean, the face painters just don't stop all day. Because who gets free face painting? It's not just rubbish, you know, oh, there you go, we're going to make you into a tiger and therefore you're yellow. Um, it's like proper face painting. It looks really good. And it's free. And it's free. And it's free. And our heart has been to bless. And then, if you want to get involved in small community, it's easy. Because there are lots of committees and meetings you can go to that will welcome you with open arms. And so recently I found myself on the festival committee um, helping shape this. And the very first meeting, suddenly this like, oh, I felt so embarrassed. Our desire to be generous had actually inadvertently been robbing every community group in our community. Because we want to be generous. We want to show the love of God to our community by giving free stuff. But actually the scouts and the guides and the Women's Institute and other community groups in our community, that's their key fundraising day. And they're trying to sell tea and coffee for 20p and 50p and we're giving it away for free. Well, I know where I'm going. Costa, because it all tastes disgusting. (laughs) But, But that's not the point. The point is that there is... We were accidentally, we were doing more harm than good. Not to the people that were enjoying free tea and coffee, but to the wider community. So what we did last year was we decided to adopt the street pastor mindset and went and served the community, the, 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 the stall holders rather than the wider community. Because what you get there, I said this recently, instead of kind of, you can high five someone on the way past them when you're giving them something for free and they go, thanks, high five, go. But when you're serving somebody that's stuck there for five or six hours, you're not just high-fiving, you're hugging. You're sitting on their lap. Just don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not, don't go there. But you know, it's that, you're actually engaging. So when we did our Christmas market, we don't charge the stallholders. We want to bless the stallholders because they're local people. And they're going to be in our church for five hours. They're going to be bumping into the kingdom of God as, as we give them free tea and coffee for just serving our community. And so... We don't, sometimes we think it's brilliant to be really generous, but we've got to be aware. And it's, again, it's context. It's understanding what else is going on in our community. Um, finally, and it is a finally, group life. I'm sure we have small groups. Yeah, they are a big thing. Some of us are really creative with our small groups. Some of us love the Bible study groups. We, we like many churches, have got lots of groups that we've created with a, with a goal of reaching into our community. So rather than saying, you know, discipleship groups, we're going, actually, come and play board games or come running or come Nordic walking. So one of our guys has recently set up a Nordic walking group. Um, I run a running group. They're all really good ideas. But ultimately, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get people to come to a group that we're starting up, aren't we? Every small community has loads of existing groups. I wonder if sometimes we try and instigate something because, oh, therefore now God's in it, forgetting that actually when we're there, God's in it. And so I, my encouragement to, to us as a church and to us as a movement is like, actually, there's loads of good stuff already going on in our communities. Why is there no salt? Why is there no light? Where's like, why is there no leaven in those places already? Because unless you're involved in it, you can't shape it. 
unless you're not sitting in the room voting on where the next poo bin goes, they are not bumping into the kingdom of God. And I think this whole thing of how we engage on a local level is just, it's vitally important that we don't just think, let's get people into our services on a Sunday. We've got to think, how do we get our services out from a Sunday into the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? And I actually want to challenge us as church leaders. If we spend all of our time maintaining church, what are we truly doing? Surely we can spend a couple of hours a month in a community group. And I don't mean one of the church ones. I mean one of the one scouts, PTAs, PFAs. They all are crying out. I mean, there are, there are um, what are the things that run schools? Governor. Governors. Oh, my goodness. Every single school I know needs governors. You put somebody who loves Jesus into that setting and watch how the culture changes because that tiny bit of leaven impacts the whole mixture. Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew, in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I may win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. How do we measure success, brothers and sisters? Is it by the number of people that turn up to our services or our meetings? Is it by our bank balances? or our monthly offerings? Or should we be measuring our success on how the culture and the community around us is being impacted by our intentional focus on loving and living out the gospel? People don't need to be told how much the church loves the community from the confines of our four walls. They need to be shown through how we are in our actions. Guys, building local church is not hit-and-run evangelism. It's long-term discipleship and evangelism. It's showing you love. It's showing you care. It's recognizing that when you're part of a small community, your words and your actions genuinely matter. And they're being taken account of. How you speak of others how you relate to others, what you post on the community Facebook page is being noticed by others. I recently was after a meeting talking about this coming festival with the local councillors and we were just sitting there and that's the thing in a small community, local councillors actually carry some weight, whereas in bigger cities often they don't. I was chatting to Dan about this recently. But we're sitting around and she's just, we're just chatting about, um, oh, what was it, Armed Forces Day. Again, something I never thought I'd hear come out of my mouth, but it's later. It's not remembrance. It's a celebration of the forces. Big and Hill, we've got a flagpole now with a Union Jack up it, so she wants to do an um, Armed Forces Day. So she wants to talk to me about this meeting, and she says to me, hold on, Simon, before we get going, I, I want to ask you a question. I said, what do you go for it, Manny? What's the matter? She said, well, why is it that you and Alison, the you know, vicar at St. Mark's, why is it you speak so well of each other? Aren't you in competition? Now, I've never intentionally made a point of being nice about Alison in front of Melanie, but she's observed 
the actions. She's, a, she's listened to the conversations. And what she's, it's suddenly not reconciling in her head because you're different. So why are you not in competition? You're in competition. Why are you being nice about each other? That is just, I mean, that is just gospel gold, isn't it? The universal church. One body. God's heart for his people. It's just beautiful. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to see this nation and the nations of the world impacted by the gospel, we need a two-pronged approach. Our churches need to be planted in the big cities and they need to be planted in the small towns and villages. And it means regardless of our context, rather than tailoring our programs around how we're going to get people into the church, we've got to start mobilizing the church to get into the people. Amen? Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. Brilliant. Brilliant. I hope there's been some provocation in this session.